Jesus' goal for his followers is not just to get this world into heaven, it's to get heaven into this world through us. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Morning, church. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here at Plainfield Christian Church. We love to worship together every week, and we're glad that you're here with us today. Now, for the last few weeks, like Morgan said, we have been in this series called From Now Until Forever, and we're talking about the difference that heaven makes in the here and now, the difference that eternity makes and how that shapes our earthly lives. Because there's a danger, particularly in American Christianity, and especially even right here in Hendricks County, where cultural Christianity is still kind of a thing, there's this subtle danger that we can accidentally communicate that all you have to do to be a follower of Jesus is just believe that this story is true. And that if you just believe that this story is true, maybe you say prayers as a kid or you get dunked or something, and then really all you have to do is kind of just try to be a nice person, maybe come to church every once in a while until you die, then Jesus comes and takes you back to heaven. And the only problem with that mindset is that that's not at all what Jesus had in mind, right? In fact, when Jesus taught his disciples, his followers how to pray, he did not teach them to pray, God, take me to heaven. He taught them to pray something radically different. Take a look at what Jesus taught his disciples to pray here in Matthew chapter six. Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We've come back to that prayer over and over and over again the last few weeks because Jesus teaches us to pray, not take us to heaven, but God, bring heaven down here. Jesus' goal for his followers is not just to get this world into heaven, it's to get heaven into this world, to bring up there, down here, through us. And so for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the difference that heaven makes and how that changes our marriage and our parenting and our work. And today we're talking about how heaven changes our finances. Now, before we get going, I just want to acknowledge the spirit in the room this morning that when some of you walked in today and you heard that we're talking about money, your soul went, didn't it? Yeah, I did. And some of you, if you're new here this morning, you walk in and you think, classic, of course, come to church and the preacher just wants my money, right? And if you're brand new here with us today, or if you're thinking anything like that, I just want to share our heart with you. That one of our core commitments as a church is to shape our life as individuals and as a community around the life of Jesus. And what that means is that we talk about and care about the things that Jesus talked about and cared about. And if you go open your Bibles and read the Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's the stories of Jesus' life here on earth, you'll notice Jesus talks a lot about money. Jesus talks more about money than he does about prayer and faith combined. Jesus talks more about money than he talks about heaven and hell combined. Jesus talks a lot about money. That means that we gotta talk about money. But I understand money is a sensitive issue. We're coming at this from a lot of different angles today. It's a difficult issue. Gas is like $47 a gallon right now. Can I get an amen? Well, we're, I'm going back home this week to Missouri for my brother's high school graduation. I wish he wasn't graduating. I'm not gonna be able to send my kids to college because I'm coming to his graduation, okay? I get it. This is a hard issue. And, and, and we got people all over the spectrum here today financially, but I want you to know that if you're in this room here this morning, you are among the wealthiest people on the planet. 
And, and we know that. We've seen the statistics, right? The fact of the matter is that for most of us in here today, even though we've gone through seasons of financial difficulty, my guess is that even in those seasons, you probably never really had to wonder where your next meal was going to come from. You probably never really had to literally pray, God, give me my daily bread. I need bread today. Because most of us, we have a room in our house dedicated to storing our daily bread. It's called a pantry, right? Like we don't have to pray, God, give me my daily bread. You can walk to the pantry and get your daily bread. You got Oreos in there, right? And so if you've got Oreos in your pantry today, that means that we're among the wealthiest people on the planet. But even so, most of the people that I talk to, especially those who are not followers of Jesus, but most of those I talk to here in Hendricks County are financially miserable, no matter which end of the spectrum they're on. Because there's a lot of people who are on this end of the spectrum and, and it just feels like they can never get their head above water. They just can't figure out how to make ends meet. They're just saddled with deep amounts of debt. They're living paycheck to paycheck. They're just struggling. They're always needing more and more and more. And they're just running that hamster wheel and they can never quite arrive and they're miserable. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we got a lot of people in here, even in this room, who have more than they're ever gonna need more than they're ever even gonna know how to spend. They've got more saved up for their retirement than one person could possibly want. And yet, even they have discovered that money doesn't meet the deepest desires of our heart. That no amount of wealth can satisfy the thirst that is in your soul. And so people are financially miserable, which is why I woke up this morning excited to preach this sermon to you instead of miserable about preaching this sermon to you. I'm not trying to sell you used cars this morning, okay? What I wanna to communicate to you is the life-changing principles of God's word that apply even to our money. Because when we align all of our lives with Jesus's kingdom priorities, it radically changes everything. And it gives you a kind of peace and joy and freedom that Jesus can give that can never be found in any amount of wealth. And so as I wrestled with how to deliver this message and how to have this conversation with you this morning, I thought about all these different life-changing principles that can change how we interact with money, like Morgan said. And one of those is just the reality that God owns everything. And when you realize God owns everything, that's amazing and it changes how we live. I heard a story of a, a young man who went to the candy store and he bought three boxes of candy. He bought a, a $10 box, a $20 box, and a $50 box. And he went to go check out and the, the store owner was like, why, why are you buying three boxes of candy? And the young man said, well, I've, I've got a date tonight. And uh, if, if she uh, says yes to a second date, she gets the $10 box of candy. And uh, she says, uh, she holds my hand, then she gets the $20 box of candy. But if she gives me a kiss, then, then she gets the $50 box of candy. And so the, the young man leaves. And, and later that night, sure enough, he, he's at the date. He, he's out at dinner with the young lady and her family. And the dad asks the young man to pray. And so he, he starts to pray. And he prays this long, fervent, elaborate prayer. I mean, he keeps going and going. I mean, he's really crying out to the Lord. And, and, and finally, he, he says amen. And the young lady looks over at him and says, wow, I... I had no idea you were such a powerful Christian. And he said, I had no idea your dad owned the candy store. <laughs> um, <laughs> There's not really a point to that joke. I just kind of wanted to tell it, if we're being honest. Um, but if we're trying to apply it, here it is. Like, when you realize that God owns everything, it changes how you live, right? Psalm 24.1, the Bible says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it. When you live like that, man, that's amazing. It changes things. I thought about, we could also talk about how this morning that, that giving is not a rules thing. It's not a legalistic thing. It's not a numbers thing. It's a grace thing. That when you understand what Jesus has done for you, this is our natural response. You know the verse, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he, he gave, right? 
Man, and when we see what God's given to us, we can't help but give back in response to him. This isn't a legalism thing. This is a grace thing. We're a grace church. We could also talk about the responsibility that we have been given as the wealthy ones of the world, that we're the ones who have Oreos in our pantry, right? And so here's what Jesus says to us. Luke chapter 12, Jesus says, from everyone who's been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who's been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. We have a responsibility. We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing Man, I thought about we could also tell just the amazing stories of what God will do with a group of people committed to allowing God to use their resources to do his work in the here and now, to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Because there's so many people that when they're a part of this church family, they decide, you know what? I'm receiving spiritual truth and community here, so I'm gonna give too. I'm not just gonna be a taker, I'm gonna be a giver. I'm not just gonna be a consumer, I'm gonna be a contributor. And when people decide, yeah, I'm gonna give my time and my resources and my experience and my abilities here in this place, God uses that to do amazing things. Just over the last year, with the money that you guys have given to Plainfield Christian Church so generously, God has allowed the work of this place to keep going. Uh, some of us don't have to go get real jobs, and, and I'm grateful for that. You know, we get to focus all of our time and our attention here, and we want to be conscientious of the fact that everything we are using are God's resources given by God's people. But also, like that money's gone to do amazing things outside of this building. That money's gone to feed 2,000 community meals for Thanksgiving to people in need in our community over the last year. It's gone to give out dozens and dozens of dozens of gift cards for the $100 difference initiative that we do every year. It's gone to send kids to camp and CIY and VBS. It's gone to provide relief for the tornadoes in Kentucky and the war in Ukraine. It has gone to support our 34 global impact partners around the world, sending the good news of Jesus and help and humanitarian aid into 83 countries. I wanna be a part of that, don't you? Man. It's amazing what God will do with a community of people who live with open hands. We can talk about all those things. But the specific angle I wanna teach today is what difference does heaven make? What difference does heaven make in the here and now? As the people with Oreos in our pantry, how do we handle our money on earth as it is in heaven? And it kind of just begs the question, right? Why does Jesus want your money? Like, why does Jesus want our money? It's not because he needs it. He's not operating in the red. He owns everything. We just said that. So why does Jesus want your money? And here's my theory. I think Jesus wants your money because Jesus wants your heart. Now, you guys know this. One, one time, uh, Jesus was asked what the greatest command was, what he wants most from us. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 22. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Jesus wants your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. So Jesus wants your heart, but he also says that the best indication that he has your heart is if he also has your wallet. Take a look, Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The, the principle in the Bible is that our hearts follow our money. Your heart follows your money. And I think you know this to be true by experience. If you buy stock in Coca-Cola, what's gonna happen to your brain? you're gonna start being really interested in Coca-Cola, right? You're gonna start thinking about Coca-Cola. You're gonna start noticing Coke signs as you drive down the road. You're gonna start checking Coca-Cola stock. You're gonna start ordering Coke at restaurants. You're gonna get warm, fuzzy feelings all on your insides when you see Coke commercials come on TV because our hearts follow our money. And Jesus wants your heart. But the problem is that Jesus isn't the only one who wants your heart. You also have a world around you and a devil who hates you and sin within you that are all in competition against Jesus for your heart. 
They want your loyalty. They want your affections. And so they want to draw your heart away from Jesus. And if it's true that our hearts follow our money, then one of the ways the enemy is going to try to draw your heart away from Jesus is by drawing your money away from Jesus and by focusing your money on the here and now instead of on heaven. The world around you is gonna say, hey, bring your heart, bring your wallet, bring, bring your money over here and come play my game. Because we see the world around us kind of playing a money game, aren't they? And I think we all kind of inherently know what the rules of the game are. The rules of the game are whoever dies with the most stuff wins. And so, and so it's this, this competition, this, this game the world wants us to play to, to get more house stuff and car stuff and work stuff and play stuff and clothes stuff and family stuff. So we buy stuff and we sell stuff and we display our stuff and we want more stuff and we insure our stuff so that we won't lose our stuff and we store our stuff. And then eventually when we don't have enough room for our stuff, we build more places for more stuff. And if our stuff is better than other people's stuff, then we feel good about our ourselves and our stuff. And if our stuff is not as good as other people's stuff, then we feel less good about ourselves and our stuff. And as we get more stuff, we need a bigger house to hold our stuff. And somebody once said, that's all a house is, just a pile of stuff with a cover on it. We know the game, don't we? And maybe you're thinking, okay, preacher, I get it. That may be it for some people, but materialism isn't my Achilles heel. I've got other things, but but that's not me today. Okay, good for you. I'm, I'm happy for you. But I have a challenge for you. Everybody, go ahead and take out your wallet. This is not like a a, a theoretical, hypothetical thing. Take out your wallet, okay? Hold it in your hands, this little piece of leather, right? It's just a piece of leather. That's all it is, just a little leather container. But be honest, it's not just a piece of leather, is it? It's my piece of leather. This, This little piece of leather makes me feel safe, makes me feel secure, makes me feel valuable. If you don't believe that, try leaving your house without this piece of leather. You feel naked, don't you? Yeah. This this little piece of leather, the, the world around you would like to convince you that the key to happiness, the key to winning the game lies within the contents of this little piece of leather. And if you still don't believe me, if you're still thinking, no, that's not me, then go ahead and pass your wallet to the person next to you. Um, <laughs> go ahead and take their wallet. <clears throat> Now we're gonna take up an offering and uh, (laughs) give generously like you've always wanted to do, you sanctified people, yeah. You can't do it, can you? No, you can't, because whoa, our hearts follow our money, don't they? We're attached to this thing. Our hopes, our dreams, our identity, our fear, it's it's all wrapped up in this little tiny piece of leather. That's why it's a lie, isn't it? Money can never meet the desires of your heart. And yet that's also why in our relationships, some of the time, some of our most sensitive and painful conversations revolve around the contents of that wallet, don't they? John D. Rockefeller, during his time, he was one of the wealthiest men in history. And somebody asked John D. Rockefeller one time, how much money is enough money? And you know what he said? Just a little bit more. Oh, I feel that, don't you? And this is the lie that our fears always outrun our money. Stuff will never be enough. But the devil wants to keep you on that hamster wheel. He wants to keep you on that treadmill, chasing more and more and more, playing this game without telling you that the game has a timer. Now, some of you just got really excited when I set that up there because you think the sermon's gonna be done when the sand runs out, don't you? (laughs) This thing runs for an hour, sit tight, okay? Um, (laughs) Okay. 
But the devil wants to make you forget that this game has a timer. And, and, and Jesus, he told a story one time about a guy who got caught playing the game, but he forgot the game had a timer. Take a look at the story Jesus tells here in Luke chapter 12. It says, then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. It's convicting, isn't it? So here's this guy's strategy for playing the game, okay? Step number one, harvest a large crop. Step number two, build bigger barns, get more stuff. Step number three, get enough money. Step number four, eat. Step number five, drink. Step number six, be merry. And step number seven, remember not to die. <laughs> Except that's the hard one, right? Because there's a timer on this game. Another place in the Bible, 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter tells us what's going to happen when the timer runs out. He tells us what's going to happen to all the stuff in the game. Peter says this. He says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. All this stuff... When the timer runs out, it's all gonna be destroyed. My house, your house, my car, your car, this church building, it's all going away, it's all temporary. You guys know this, none of this stuff was built to last. And there's a beauty in the fact that the Christian ethic has always been to remember that this life is short and fleeting and temporary. A couple weeks ago, a lot of you know, I got to go overseas as a trip of a lifetime and I got to go to Rome. And in Rome, I got to go to this ancient chapel. I think we have a couple pictures here. And this chapel is dedicated with the bones of some ancient Christians from hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Those are real bones. 3,000 people's bones were used to build this chapel as a call to remember how fleeting this life is. Now, it seems a little morbid, doesn't it? And I guess, I guess it might be a little bit. I mean, can you imagine being the guy who had this idea, who decided to pitch it to the other like, ladies at church at the potluck, you know? Being like, hey, so you know that new chapel we're building? Do I have an interior decorator yet? Because I have a great idea, you know? Hey, Larry, when your time comes, instead of a casket, what do you, I think your pelvis would make a great chandelier, you know? Um, <laughs> it's a little strange, I get it. But there is something beautiful in the fact that we are called to remember that this life has a timer. And that as we are, so once were they. And as they are, so we will be. This life is short. It wasn't meant to last. And even though death has been defeated by Jesus and we have resurrection coming and death is still the enemy, we're not called to forget death. We're called to remember death and to live in light of it, knowing that our best life isn't now. Our best life comes later, right? This is our calling as followers of Jesus. While I was on that trip, I stayed in five different hotels. So imagine... Imagine I check into a hotel 
And then immediately I go out to buy like a new couch for the hotel room, new big flat screen TV, surround sound, a nice expensive Van Gogh painting to hang on the wall, decorate the place a little bit. It'd be foolish, right? Because I'm only there for two nights. But that's what it's like when people play this game as if there's not a timer. So what if, what if, because we're followers of Jesus and we know our best life isn't now, our best life comes later, You know, the problem with the guy in that story Jesus told, it wasn't that he wanted a nice retirement. That wasn't the problem. The problem was that he saved up in the wrong place. So what if when we feel that ache of dissatisfaction inside of us, we've all felt that. What if we we feel that hunger for something more? What if we let that lead our hearts to heaven instead of earth? What if when you feel that desire for more, instead of chasing more stuff, what if you let that... Lead us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Because Jesus wants our hearts. And here's the amazing, shocking thing about that. If Jesus wants our hearts, that means that when it comes to our money, Jesus is not actually telling you to quit playing the game. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is saying, if you're gonna play the game, play to win. Play it the right way. Here's how he says we win the game here. Matthew chapter six. He says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, some of you um, have target date retirement funds, right? Where you tell your financial advisor, okay, I wanna retire in, in 25 years. And so then your financial advisor invests your money accordingly so that on your target date, you will get the maximum amount of return. And Jesus, our financial advisor here, is saying, set your target date for eternity. And that's a hard thing to do because if we're honest, like it feels good to buy stuff right now, doesn't it? It it satisfies, it's kind of a thrill. It's nice to have fresh new things and fresh new things aren't bad, but it feels good and and it feels good when our numbers are like trending in the right direction and we feel safe and secure. But Jesus is saying, listen, don't put your hope in that because it doesn't last. Set your target date a little further out. And here's what that looks like. The apostle Paul said it like this in 1 Timothy chapter six. He said, command those who are rich in this present world. Remember, that's us. We got Oreos in our pantry, right? So command us. Not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And the hard part about that is that when you leverage your earthly resources to do God's work here, that's gonna set you behind some of your peers. And that means it's gonna be harder to keep up with the Joneses, you know, because even if you compare yourself to the people who make exactly the same amount of money as you, if you're following Jesus's way with your money, that means you're gonna be at least three steps behind them. Step number one, you're gonna be getting out of debt and staying out of debt. Step number two, you're gonna be saving. Step number three, you're gonna be giving generously. That means you're at least three steps behind everybody else. But, Jesus says, you're storing up eternal treasure. So which do you want more? And the beauty of this church, one of the reasons I love this church is because I've learned this from a lot of you. We have so many people in our church who are living like this. And we could tell a lot of stories, but take Bob and Christy Paddock, for example. 
Bob and Christy Paddock, I don't know if you know them, they're, they're wonderful people. And a few years ago, if you would have looked at their life, you'd have thought, yeah, okay, they're winning the game. Absolutely, they're, they're looking good. But God took Bob and Christy on a journey of learning to trust him completely and learning to use the things that he has given them to do heavenly work here on earth. Take a look at Bob and Christy's story. How did you meet Jesus? How did you come to know the Lord? Both of us grew up in the church and, you know, just over time, you know, we knew we went to church. It was always something that we did all the time with our family. And then probably around six, seven years ago, we really started being more intense in our relationship and our journey with God. Mm. What happened in that moment to make that switch? I don't know if anything in particular, like one thing happened, but once we kind of made the leap, it was just boom, 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 boom. Like our whole life just kind of fell into place. And, and so remember one service in particular that we went to and, um, and Steve talked about, you know, being overstressed, overworked. And um, I ended up knowing that was just talking to me and I ended up actually like leaving the next day. So um, put my notice in and just kind of took a leap of faith. and knew that God was talking to me and I had something better to do. I love that. So you're talking about using your work, using every aspect of your life to bring glory to God. What do you What do, you do for a living? Uh, I sell real estate. I'm a realtor for FC Tucker and the managing broker here in Plainfield. And I own a CFO consulting company, a CPA. That's awesome. So um, what role then has the kingdom mindset, what role has your faith played, has eternity played in you making even financial decisions? Well, I think when we make financial decisions now, we realize that this isn't our money or our house or our car. Everything we have, God lets us use. Mm -hmm. So I think when we shifted to that mindset that what she talked about earlier, relieves stress, because it's not ours anymore. Mm -hmm. We just have to be good stewards of the Lord's money, and that's what we try to do. That's huge. How's it affected your, your work life, like how you go about your career? Yeah, I think when we when we look at our work, um, you know, we I, I think one you know, one Bible verse that I really love is Matthew five sixteen, like, you know, let your light shine. And I think of that as God gives me blessings in life and gives me the ability to help other people in a certain way. And so if I can take those talents and use that um, in my in my work every day and help people that that's you know that's my gift so these are big decisions you guys have made quitting a career switching stuff going into all that kind of uncertainty saying i'm going to trust god enough that i'm giving large portions of my money to him you know that's that's a radical thing to do um was that scary was that hard what were those fears and if so what would you say to somebody who's hearing this and is feeling scared to take a step like that it was absolutely scary I mean, it was absolutely terrifying to me. Um, but what, and I'll give Christy credit for having a little more faith than I had in the beginning, because she said, we're gonna give the church our first 10% off the top. And at the time, I'm like, what, what, what? How are we gonna pay our bills? Um, but I, I was quick to learn that we can't outgive God. I think once the fear is passed, you should just do it. Just give it a shot. Because in this experience that we've done, it's just, made my heart whole because like Christy had mentioned when we give you're obviously getting way more out than you're giving mm -hmm. so we get to see you know tangible things that we've done that have bettered people's lives mm -hmm. and I think that's what more can be said Man, I'm so thankful for Bob and Christy and their willingness to just use their story to use their work to use their resources for the glory of God and let me tell you a life like that that has a ripple effect into eternity. Um, 
even just in my own story, and there, there were a, a lot of years where I felt like I wanted to go be a missionary overseas. And, and part of this topic in particular is the reason that I'm here instead. I can remember one particular mission trip. Um, we were in Haiti and we were helping out with this amazing Christian ministry, it's a Christian hospital, and the need was so great. The line was out the door every single day and, and, and the work was overwhelming. But they were building a new wing for the hospital to help meet this need. And, and it, it was an awesome thing. And I noticed the construction project, they had the foundation poured, but, but then there were weeds grown up all over the foundation and, and the work had stopped. And so I asked somebody, I said, why? why aren't we building that wing? Like the need is so great. We need that thing to get up and going. They said, yeah, you're right, we do. But we ran out of money. And I I swear to you, it was like God said to me right there in that moment, Luke, you can do more good for the kingdom by going back to the States and leveraging the resources that I have given to the American church to do my work around the world. Because the money to finish that hospital is sitting at the parking lot in your church and in the pockets of the people that you know. That's a hard call, but this is the responsibility we've been given, right? And so I guess, I guess my challenge for you this morning is to just, wherever you are today, take the next step in giving Jesus your whole heart. And for some of you, that means just entering into a relationship with Jesus for the first time and fully surrendering your heart to him. If you're here this morning and you're realizing that, man, the things that I've been chasing for satisfaction, they're not satisfying. And you're ready to discover that Jesus is the only one who can, I'd encourage you, come to him. Man, if if you're ready to surrender and realize that, yeah, Jesus died for me to pay my debt and my guilt and shame can be done and he rose again to new life and he offers me that same new life and you're ready to surrender to him, do that. I'll be down here the rest of the service, love to talk with you. You can always go to our website, plainfieldchristian.com and we would love to walk with you to discover new life in Jesus. Give him your whole heart and watch what happens. And if you are a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, then I'd encourage you to take the next step in giving him your whole heart by trusting him financially. Because unless Jesus has this, he doesn't really have this. And that's hard. That's a hard call to like hold this thing out here with open hands, right? It's difficult. I get that. But if you've been feeling stuck and stagnant in your faith and you've been wanting to grow and you don't know how, I promise you I've seen it in my life and in the lives of so many people. There's almost no way to grow faster in your faith than by trusting God with your money. Take a step and see what he does. And and for some of you, this is a brand new thing. And I'd encourage you to just give something. Make a habit of giving God something. And we don't just give every now and then when we think God's doing a good job of being God or something. That's tipping God. We don't do that, okay? We make this a habit of faith that we're gonna do this consistently as an act of trust that he's gonna provide and that he's worthy of this as a reflection of how much that he has given us. I'm so thankful I grew up with parents who taught me that the first dime of every dollar goes to Jesus. And that's why I counsel newlyweds. Hey, listen, I know money's tight right now, but start your marriage by being generous and lay a foundation because Jesus says in Luke 16 that whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever's dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So just make it a habit. And if you already do give consistently, then I'd encourage you to take a step of faith and to increase to the biblical kind of baseline standard of generosity called the tithe. And that's giving the first 10% to God. Now, we're not about numbers. We're not about rules here. That's not our thing. We're a grace church. But it is a consistent teaching throughout scripture that we're gonna trust God by giving him the first 10% right off the top. And that may sound like a huge stretch for you, but God gives an incredible promise to people who are gonna trust him in this way. In Malachi chapter three, God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Trust me with your first 10%, he says, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I'm not promising that God's gonna fill your bank account, but I am saying this is the only time in the Bible where he says, test me, try me, see what I'll do. So some of you need to take that test. 
And some of you who are already tithing, maybe God's calling you to say, okay, I'm gonna step out. I'm gonna trust him even more. I'm gonna give even more generously for the glory of God. And as you do, wherever you are today, here's the promise. The promise God gives you is he is gonna give you your daily bread. He's gonna take care of you. And your heart follows your money. He's gonna aim your heart at heaven. And he is gonna bring heaven to earth through us. And I wanna be a part of that. If you would, take out your communion now. Hope you got it when you walked in. Um, With this whole topic, it's important to remember that um, we are never doing this to try to buy our way to heaven, to try to work our way into God's good graces, to try to earn his favor or blessing on our lives. That's not what we're doing. We're doing all this in response to what God has already done for us. The Bible says that we love because he first loved us. We give because he first gave to us. He gave us Jesus to meet our deepest need. And some of you, as you step out in faith on this journey of trusting God with your money, you're gonna discover that God is a provider in some amazing ways. But every week we take this communion together to remember the ultimate way that God has provided for us, that all of our deepest needs of acceptance and identity and security and purpose and joy and belonging and peace and hope and love, all of those needs have been met in Jesus Christ who came from heaven as God's son and who is nailed to that cross for you and me. And we're gonna take the bread to remember that sacrifice. And then I'll give you a moment. We'll pray together. And then we'll take this little bit of juice. We'll receive it together as a reminder of Jesus's blood that spilled from his body to wash us clean in the sight of God. So take the bread on your own and then we'll take the juice together. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have given us this day our daily bread that everything we need has been met by your son who came to die for us. And so Father, you see us right now in our weakness of faith and where we need to trust you. And I'm asking you to just strengthen my brothers and sisters and allow them to trust you even more in every area of our lives. You want our hearts and we wanna give you our hearts, but we're weak this morning. But we praise you that you met us in our weakness and we're gonna take this juice to remember now that someday we're gonna stand before you with clean hearts, not because of how good and generous we are, but because of how good and generous you are. And it's in the name of Jesus that all God's people said.